Amen. We're going to be in Acts 19 again this morning, continuing um, our study of the book of Acts. And I struggled all week with the introduction of this message, and it wasn't until this morning that I began to realize um, why, why I had not um, heard clearly from the Lord on that. <clears throat> um, obviously, today uh, many folks are without water, and um, this morning, uh, Emily and I, we have a lot of family. Um, obviously, Emily, some of her family's here this morning. They're without water. Their church is without water. And so, um, early this morning, we began to make phone calls, began to send text messages. And um, uh, being the wise and smart husband I was, we've invited about 20-plus folks to our house. Come here, right? And so, um, probably many of you women are feeling the stress if your husband began to just throw out open invites and realize that your house may not look exactly like it should. And uh, we've got boys that dumped an entire thing of dog food all over the floor this morning. And one that took Mommy's new Bible and got the highlighter out and marked all over it. And so, it's, it's been a morning that I need the pardon of the Lord and the grade of the faithfulness. Um, but we talked with the boys this morning. We said, hey, listen, this, this is an opportunity not just to talk about our faith, to say, uh, we're going to pray for these folks. Let's, let's be the hands and feet of Christ, right? Uh, James 2, uh, we read this to the boys this morning. He says, what good is it, my brothers, if someone says he has faith but does not have works, can that faith save him? If a brother or sister is poorly clothed and lacking in daily food, and one of you says to them, go in peace, be warm and filled, without giving them the things needed for the body, what good is that? So also faith by itself, if it does not have works, is dead. I said, fellows, we can gather here this morning, get on our knees and pray for our family. That's awesome. We can pray for, we invited cousins and we've invited others. We've just been throwing out, hey, listen, come. And uh, we've been down on our hands and knees scrubbing toilets. We have boys. They miss the mark sometimes in there. And so uh, we're trying to clean up and get ready. So you can imagine what that's been like this morning and, and uh, all the chaos that's going on around our house. And, but we said, hey, listen, guys, we can say we love you, we care about you as a family, but James says, hey, listen, if all you do is send a message on Facebook saying, hey, I'm praying for you or I hope it works out. He says, what good is that? No, I'm not, we're not diminishing the fact that we should pray for them and tell them we're concerned. But he says, hey, listen, more than just sending and say, hey, I'm concerned about you. Say, hey, I, I got a toilet that flushes. Right. Most of you had a toilet that flushed this morning. Many folks don't right now. You have water, maybe, or maybe you know someone that's got a newborn and they're doing formula. Maybe they don't have access to water for whatever reason. I don't have one bottle of water in my house, all right? Maybe you say, Blake, you're not very prepared. Some of you are disaster people. You're ready, right? I mean, you've got, I don't have one bottle, so if that was us, we wouldn't have any this morning. You have a warm shower. Maybe they don't. So I want to encourage you, even now, right? Some of you have got your phone out. You're on Facebook, right? It's time to get that off. But even so, right, reach out to them and say, hey, listen, I want you to know, come to my house, right? We, we've got it. We'll help you out. Whatever we can do. Um, the Red Cross is going to be meeting today at 1. And uh, I don't know if you know it or not, but our Christian Life Center is a disaster place. And so um, it's a, a relief center for those that may need to come. So there may be people coming there. Um, we sent out the invite this morning for folks that need to shower or need restrooms. Hey, come in. We've been talking. We have folks that are connected with Camels of Fire and EMS and saying, hey, what can we do? How can we help? And Bobby Markham's out with Porta Johns this morning. He's saying, hey, I got extras. Who, who needs? Right? So we're trying to be the hands and feet of Christ. That's what we're called to do. Amen? That's what we're called to do as a church. And so we want to pray, but we also want to act. And so, listen, part of that leads me right into what Paul's going to ask them in Acts 19. It's this statement he says in verse 2. Did you receive the Holy Spirit when you believed? Why, Paul? Because there is such an expectation that the Spirit of God is going to do such a work in you that you're going to be changed. That this is actually going to transform you. Paul says, hey, listen, guys, did you all receive? Look what he says here. Acts 19. 
It says in verse 1 that it happened that while Apollos was at Corinth, Paul passed through the inland country and came to Ephesus. There he found some disciples and he says to them, did you guys receive the Holy Spirit when you believed? It's an important question. We're going to walk through it. But today we're going to kind of look at the context around it of what all this may clue us into. Um, We're going to come back to this question at the end and say, well, have you received the Holy Spirit? We're going to ask some practical questions. But before we do that this morning, maybe we might ask, is there any precedence, anything previous in the book of Acts, excuse me, especially, that might say, why is Paul asking this question? And I think one place in particular that may help us get some clarity of why is Paul asking the question like this? Because let's be honest, most of us would say, have you believed, right? We would ask, hey, have you believed? Well, if you believe on Jesus, then you've received the Holy Spirit, which is in essence true. So why is Paul reversing the order? Why is he first saying, did you, did you receive the Holy Spirit when you believed, right? Why is he doing that? So look with me, would just for a moment, Acts 15. Acts 15, the church is having a big fight, a big disagreement, all right? And it's over this. Should the Jewish people that have now become Christians accept Gentiles into the church if they haven't been circumcised, right? To sign the Old Testament covenant. So the question is, where are we with the Old Testament? Where are we with God's forever promise to Abraham? How do we deal with that? Look what happens. Peter stands up, Acts 15, verse 7. And he says to them, Brothers, You know that in early days God made a choice among you that by my mouth the Gentiles should hear the word of the gospel and believe. Alright, so we're talking about belief, right? Hearing the gospel, that's how it happens, right? Hearing the gospel and belief, that's how that takes place, right? People have to to believe, they have to hear the gospel. But look what he says, and God, who knows what? The heart, right? The question is, how do we know that someone is truly believed? That's a great question, right? Like, how can I know if I've truly believed? How can I know if someone else is truly believed? This is what, look what Peter says. He says, well, listen, guys, you're right. How do we know the Gentiles have actually believed? That's kind of a difficult question. The reality is we can't see into the heart of them any more than we can see into your and my heart. But he says, I want you to know there's someone that can see hearts. Who is that? Who is it? God, right? And watch what he says. God made a witness. Right? He testified and he gave them something, or we would essence probably say someone. And who did God give them to signify they had truly believed? Do you know? He gave them the Holy Spirit just as he did to us. He says, listen, I know it's a difficult thing. How do we know if someone's truly believed? And Peter says, listen, guys, I want you to know how you can know. God gave them the Holy Spirit just like He did to us. The Spirit is a, a testimony. It is a seal that you are truly God's child. Now there's many other things we're going to look to today of saying how could we provide some validity to this question. But that's important. And so now when Paul shows up there in Ephesus, he's going to ask them a similar question. Hey guys, did you receive the Holy Spirit when you believed? Has God verified that you have truly believed by giving you His Spirit? So today I want to look at maybe five things here from Acts 19 that may give us a pause of question to say, did these folks truly believe Had they they hadn't received the Holy Spirit? Remember what we talked about. Acts is a book of transition, alright? It is a It is a a challenging moment. There's many difficulties as we look at it interpretively. Acts 19 is another one of those. I feel like like every other week we come and I say, this is a difficult text. This is another one. It's a difficult text. There's some disagreement. But I think there's five reasons or five things that maybe stand out that would say, I'm not sure these people are actually Christians. All right? And that's kind of my view, my opinion of it. Um, Other people would disagree. But let's look just for a moment at this. 
The first is this. The term that's used here, disciple, in Acts 19, verse 1, wasn't exclusive to just followers of Jesus. Now, in saying that, I've also got to tell you my hand, all right, and show my hand to you. This term disciple, all right, has been used 20 times in the previous 18 chapters in the book of Acts. And every single time that it's used, it speaks of a true follower of Jesus Christ. So then the question becomes, so then why in the world will we now come to this chapter and make a new interpretation of the term that's clearly been used a ton of times by the author to speak of people that are truly Christians? Well, I think part of that is going to point us... Uh, let, let me just maybe show you why I'm talking about this and talk a little bit more, just for a moment. Verse 1. And it happened that while Apollos was at Corinth, Paul passed through the inland country and came to Ephesus, and there he found some disciples. All right, so that's the first question. All right, so these people are disciples. Disciples of who? We would assume disciples of Jesus, right? Because that's how the term's been used. But watch what happens here. We're going to walk through this. But he says, listen, guys. Did you receive the Holy Spirit when you believed? They said, nope, we haven't even heard that their Holy, the, Holy, the Holy Spirit is, or even the Holy Spirit was. And he says, well, listen, he says, what were you baptized into? And they said, we were baptized into whose baptism? Come on. John's baptism, right? So that's the first clue that these disciples possibly might be something different. Furthermore, we realize the term is not used exclusively in the New Testament, only of followers of Jesus or disciples of Jesus. Why? Well, Luke, who's the writer of the book of Acts, also uses it as disciples of John and the Pharisees. Look what he says, Luke 5.33. He says to them, the disciples of John, again, so we have the term disciple used, but it's not a follower of Jesus, of John, fast often and offer prayers, and so do the disciples of the Pharisees. But yours eat and drink. And then we come to Luke 7. I don't have time to go through the context, but John's in prison. Um, He's headed toward death, and he's got some serious questions about who Jesus is. Look what it says here. Again, we have the statement there, the disciples of John, you see that. They report all these things to him. And John calling two of his disciples, so again, the disciples of John, they're his. He says, sent them to the Lord. So sends them to Jesus. And he's asked them this very important question. Are you the one? Are you the one who is to come or shall we look for another? So John has some questions here he's wondering about. Is Jesus truly the one, right? Now, remember, John had seen Jesus baptized, and, and what did he send? Who, who did he see descend on Jesus like a dove? Do you remember at Jesus' baptism? The Spirit, right? That was the confirmation of John, the one you see the, the Spirit descend upon. He's, he's the Son. He's the Messiah. John had seen that. But even now, while he's in prison, he's going through a hard time, and John has some serious questions. So it's possible that even the disciples of John might have some questions about who is Jesus, Right? So I think that's the first thing that clues us in that, hey, just because we hear the term disciple there in verse 1 doesn't mean it's necessarily a disciple of Jesus. Secondly is this. They don't know about the Holy Spirit. Look with me if you would, verse 2. And he says to them, verse 2 of Acts 19, did you receive the Holy Spirit when you believed? That's the question we're trying to investigate today. And they said, no, we have not even heard that there is a Holy Spirit. Or if you kind of follow literally... the, the the Greek, um, you're going to kind of see that they're, they're going to ask the question, we didn't even know the Holy Spirit was, is kind of what they're saying. Now, we hear that, we've got to realize that the Old Testament background would say that there's many works of the Spirit, right? So we're not saying that they're ignorant of the fact that there even is a Holy Spirit, but they're struggling to understand what's happening. So the question might be is, we didn't know the Holy Spirit had actually come. We didn't know the Holy Spirit was now available, right? Why? Because look what it says, Luke 3 and verse 16. This is John himself speaking. John answered all, saying, I baptize you with water. 
But he who is mightier than I is coming. The strap of whose sandals, he says, I'm not even worthy to untie this brother's shoes. Look what he says. He will baptize you with what? The Holy Spirit. He says, listen, there's a baptism of the Holy Spirit coming. So we must assume that these guys are disciples of John. They know about John. Then they likely know the Spirit is coming. But they didn't know it's come, right? They just haven't been made aware of this. They're not aware of all that's happening. So we may ask the question here, well, what's it even mean to be a Christian, right? I mean, we, we, a couple of things have stood out to us in our text here, right? We know that, guess what? He says, did you receive the Holy Spirit when you believed? So this is what make it, makes it difficult, right? So there's a question of, have they believed? They're called disciples. So they would say, this surely sounds like people that are Christians. But, so we have to ask the question, well, what is a Christian? Is a Christian not someone that's truly a follower of Christ, that knows about Christ's sinless life, his death, his burial, and his glorious resurrection? I mean, is a Christian not someone that's aware that the Holy Spirit is now coming to indwell believers by faith? I mean, is that not Jesus' promise in Acts 1? And you'll receive power when the what comes upon you? The Holy Spirit. He says, and then you'll be my witnesses in Jerusalem, Judea, Samaria, the ends of the earth. In Acts chapter 2, the Holy Spirit falls, right? The Holy Spirit's at work. And that's what Peter says in verse 38. Repent and be baptized, every one of you, in the name of Jesus Christ, for the forgiveness of your sins, and you'll receive the gift of what? The Holy Spirit. And then he says, this is not only for you, but for all who are far off, for all whom the Lord our God would call. And praise God that we are included in that all. Amen? That that would be extended beyond. So we realize that, listen, when they don't know about the Holy Spirit, it's not that they're ignorant to it. They just don't realize the Holy Spirit has now come to truly indwell people. The third reason why I have caution or question about who these people truly are. Look what he says um, in verse 5. They don't even know about the baptism into the name of Jesus. So look with me if you would here. And he says to them, into what were you baptized? They said, well, we were actually baptized into John's baptism. And Paul said, well, John's baptism, all right, so we have John's baptism here. It was actually one of repentance. And look what it says here. He's telling the people, this is significant, to believe in the one who was to come after him. And he says, that's Jesus. Here's what's significant about this. This is the only moment we have recorded in the New Testament of a rebaptism. Alright, so, and why is that? Well, because these folks had first come to John's baptism, right? We must assume that even on the day of Pentecost, that 3,000 people accepted the message, and to accept the message, you had to come forward to be baptized, right? So what he said, every one of you, right, that, that wants to receive the Holy Spirit, repent of your sins, be baptized in the name of Jesus, and you'll receive the gift of the Holy Spirit. Now he says, listen, that's a clear indication that people are coming to believe and follow in Christ. So this, look what it says, on hearing this, they were baptized again in the name of the Lord Jesus. So this baptism now is one of belief in Jesus, right? He says it's in the name or into the name of Jesus. So we have this second baptism happening here. Um, what about baptisms throughout, right? Well, Acts 2, Pentecost, people believe and are baptized. Um, Acts chapter 8, we have the Samaritans. They believe and they are baptized. Um, in Acts chapter 8 further, we have the Ethiopian unit. He's there in that chariot. And Philip runs up and says, do you understand what you're reading? He says, well, how can I unless someone tells me? And he hears, he says, well, listen, here's water. What's to keep me from being baptized? A beautiful statement right there. And so, listen, he's there immediately baptized. Acts chapter 16, we have the Philippian jailer, right? He and his family believed that night. It says immediately they wash their wounds, they take them, and they were baptized. What's important about that? Is that in the New Testament, baptism immediately follows salvation. 
Now, it's not salvation, right? We had this discussion with River yesterday or the day before in the van. We're talking a lot about it of what's it mean to be saved and what do those things look like and how do you understand salvation? And so we realize that baptism doesn't save someone, but it's their faith in Christ that saves them. And so baptism is a symbolic act of saying they've now been buried to their old way of life and they're raised now in the power of the Holy Spirit. But what we would see is as we look at this, if we do have folks that have believed on Jesus, isn't it logical now to assume that if they've truly believed on Jesus, they would have already been baptized into His name? Right? So again, there's question to believe of who are these guys and what's happening here. The fourth thing I want to throw at you is this. They didn't even know that Jesus was the one that John said was to come. Look with me if you would there in verse 4. And Paul says to them, John baptized with the baptism of repentance, telling the people to believe in the one who was to come after him. And look what he says here. That is Jesus. So he says, listen, you want to know who was to come after him? The one he said he wasn't worthy to untie. The one that was going to baptize with the Spirit. The one that was the long-awaited promised Messiah. The one that's fulfillment of Isaiah the prophet. Go and prepare. Straight, make straight paths for him, right? He says, listen, I want you to know, John says, that that person that you guys have been looking forward to, that John was preparing everyone to follow, the reason why John could say, I must decrease and he must what? Increase, right? John 3 and 30. He says, listen, that person is Jesus. He says, listen, you want to know today who you need? You need Christ. Now listen, these guys may have known stuff. They may have been aware of stuff. You may be here today and you may know a lot of stuff. But Paul's going to ask you, did you receive the Holy Spirit? Has there been a transformation of your life today? It's God doing a work in you. Now also something that I think is really cool and maybe an encouragement to you today is this. These guys are obviously still following John's teaching. You know what's interesting? Again, this is, we're not sure exactly, but it's presumed that John died somewhere between A.D. 28 and 29. Paul starts his third missionary journey. That's kind of where Paul's venturing out to now. Here's we begin toward Acts 19 as he heads toward Ephesus. Guess what time it is? It's somewhere around A.D. 52. So roughly 30 or what, 22 years between when John died and now these guys are hearing the fulfillment of the story. Here's what I want to tell some of you. Be faithful where you are today. Be faithful where you are today. Share the gospel where you are today. Live the gospel where you are today. You may not see your children transformed right now. You may not see everyone that you want on your job site converted right now. You can't control that. Salvation is of the Lord. That's a work of God. But your and my call is to say, Lord, great is thy faithfulness. Now let me be faithful too. And realize that, guess what? It may be 20 years after you're gone. It may be five years from now, two weeks from now. You're not in control of that. John wasn't either. But John was faithful to share the message that he had been given. And here it is, some 20 plus years later, that seed bearing fruit. Hallelujah! Praise God for that. As we're raising up children as, as a one, I think we had, what, 50 kids here on Sunday night. We're pouring the Scriptures into them. Children and youth coming. God sending you guys, many new families showing up in the church. We have a call to disciple them, to pour in and love them, and realize that we don't know what God's going to do 20 years from now, 30 years from now. But praise God that He loves them, He cares for them. So as a church, let's be faithful. Let's be faithful. And as Charlie Allen often had to remind me there from Galatians 6, what's it say, brother? It says, don't become weary in doing good. For the proper time, what? You're going to reap a harvest if you don't what? You don't give up. 
Charlie had to remind me of that text. That was his favorite verse, and I think we may have had it on the bulletin board. But I remember back in youth ministry, there'd be times I'd be discouraged, and uh, Charlie would just come by and say, "Hey, man, we just can't give up." Some of you thrown in the towel. You've given up. You think I, I don't know. Listen, there's no promise that you and I will be here this afternoon to walk beside our children. That's something I pray every day. God, help me be here for my boys. I want to disciple them. I want to walk beside them. But I know, right? I know that there's no promise of that. Earlier when we sang, Corey, I mean, my heart just swelled as we sang that about the saints who line the way. And I thought, man, man, I want to live faithful, right? I don't know if my dad, I don't know what he's aware of, what he can see. We talked about that before. But man, I want to live faithful, I want to live faithful. Do you want to live faithful today for your faithful father? For the saints that have gone before you? Godly grandparents who've lined the way? Moms and dads for some of you that have gone before? Who've lived faithful? Let's live it! And that's John, and he's just being faithful. The fifth and final thing that I want to point out here is this. And I think it's the most significant, and I think it builds upon all the rest. And it's this, in verse 6, they have not received the Holy Spirit. Again, challenging. It is a challenging moment um, because we have other examples of Acts 8 where the Samaritans sure seem to appear to believe. I believe that's authentic and um, it's not until later they receive the Holy Spirit. So again, what I want to tell you is you come to Acts, realize it's a transitional time. So some of the things are kind of hard to see. So it's important we take the entirety of the New Testament, put that together and say, okay, I'm going to allow that to help me make some interpretive decisions. But what we realize from this is this. If people don't know the truth about Christ, they can't be saved. So feel this. I don't know how well you can see the map. I know it's kind of hard. But um, if you can kind of see the yellowish areas um, or maybe the orange areas, um, those are areas where it's defined. This is the International Mission Board. Um, This is the most recent statistics we have. That if you look in those orange and red areas, that is an indication of 4.2 billion, billion people that live in a place where they have less than 2% of the population is evangelical Christian. So over 4.2 billion, the majority of the world lives in a place where less than 2% of the people are Christian. means they don't see many Christians anywhere, anytime they don't encounter them. Furthermore, if you see the red dots, the red dots are representative of 221 million people today in the face of the earth that do not have access to the gospel. There's no one there taking the gospel to them. So today, as we look at this and we're studying in Acts 19, it's beautiful. As we look to God's Word and we're building our, our teaching, our understanding of the Scriptures, let it empower our feet. Let it burn our hearts today to say, How can I not go and take the gospel to them? Young man, young woman, you hear this today. You see those numbers. Let God's Spirit today begin a fire in you. Just say, I feel like i got to go. How can I not go? I mean, 221 million people today that have little or no access at all to the gospel. Do you realize that here in the Estados Unidos, the United States of America, our total population is 321 million? It's like the entire United States that has no access today to the gospel. What will you do with that believer? How might you pray differently? How might you fast? How might you give? How might you go? How might you help encourage others that are going? What will we do as a church? That's a lot of folks. We've got to realize that, listen, people that don't have the Spirit of God are not transformed. They're not saved. If they don't have any access to the Gospel, how can they be saved? Surely we've got to go. 
So a couple things I just want you to realize about how important the Holy Spirit is and what you have if you are in Christ today. If you can answer that question, do you receive the Holy Spirit when you believe? You can say, Amen! God's Spirit, unworthy as I am, as unclean as I am, I didn't do anything to deserve it, Blake. I've not been good enough to keep His Spirit. Listen, again, don't be fooled into that. Thinking that you could somehow be good enough to keep God's Spirit in you. No, you received it by grace. You continue in grace. And you will finish in grace. And you will walk in grace. That's why John Newton was writing that 10,000 years from now, we'll still be singing amazing grace. How what? Sweet the sound. It will never lose it. It'll still be sweet, brothers and sisters, for all eternity. You'll realize you've never done anything to ever earn it or deserve it. It's just the gracious, free gift of God toward you and I in Christ Jesus, even in the midst of your sin today. Christ would say to you, come home. Wow. Dude, that makes me so excited. Listen, I know time's coming, so I want to move quickly, but Romans 8 and 9, look what it says. Again, how important is the Holy Spirit? You're after that today. That's the question we're looking at. We're trying to answer this question. Paul has asked them. We want to let him ask us. Anyone who does not have the Spirit of Christ, look what he says here, they do not belong to Him. Wow. So today, if you hear Paul's question in Acts 19, verse 2, have you received the Holy Spirit when you believe? And your answer is no. He says, listen, if you don't have the Spirit of Christ, don't be deceived. You're not in Christ. Further with me, Ephesians 1. You say, Blake, how important is the Holy Spirit? Well, look what he says here. He says, listen, guys, look at this. In Him you also, when you what? Look at that. When you what? Heard the word of truth. When you heard the word of truth, the gospel of your salvation. Man, I'm telling you, we've got to go, guys. We have got to go with the gospel. We've got to. It's when they heard the word of truth, that's when they were able to do what? Believe in Christ. And look what he says. That's when you guys, right? When he says, when you heard the truth, you believed in the gospel. He says, that was your salvation. And you were sealed with what promise? The Holy Spirit. He says, this is your guarantee. He says, this is your good deposit like it is at the bank. This is a guarantee that's greater. That's, it's more than FDIC insured. He says, this one is, is greater than the federal savings. He says, I want you to know that my promise to you is so great that I will save you and I will keep you. Is I'm not giving you a stamp. I've given you myself. You see, that's the beauty of the cross. God didn't send a substitute. He sent himself. He sent his son. The only begotten of the Father, who being the very nature of God, Paul would say. The Holy Spirit is your promise. Further, um, Galatians 5, the Spirit is so great. Why? He says, because if you guys walk by the Spirit, you live in the power of the Holy Spirit. He says, listen, the Spirit is going to help you to no longer gratify the desires of the flesh. He can free you. He can change you from the inside out. This is not simply behavior modification. This is a new creation. You become a new person. Some of you are dealing with difficult situations with family, marriages, relationships. You need to begin praying and crying out to God that He would change their heart. They would accept and receive Jesus Christ. Why? Because that, the Spirit in them, will teach them to say no to the ungodliness. This is more than you trying to change them or you trying to raise up the best kiddos that always obey and follow the rules. This is something so much greater. It's God's Spirit. Why? He says, because when you have the Spirit, the fruit of the Spirit is, and and you know what Galatians 5.22, love, joy, peace, patience, kindness, goodness, faithfulness, gentleness, self-control. The Spirit does all of that. So I want to come back and just kind of ask that question to you again. Verse 2 of of Acts 19. 
Did you receive the Holy Spirit when you believed? Right? Paul says that the Spirit does such a work, guys, that you're going to receive the Holy Spirit. He says a transformation is going to happen. Um, now the question has to come here is, well, is Acts 19 an example for us today? Right? Maybe you've heard of people that talk about the second blessing or the second baptism. I don't know if you've heard of that. Um, the, the Pentecostals, they, they follow that. I love many of those brothers and sisters in Christ. And let's be honest, many of them are out passionately sharing the gospel. And so I, I praise God for them. But I disagree doctrinally with them on some things. And, and one would be the second baptism of the Spirit. And one of the key points they're going to point to is Acts 19. They're going to say, well, look, look at these guys. They sure, they're called disciples. Um, they said to, that, they, um, that they believe. Paul asked them the question, so he must be assuming that. Um, so it's, we can believe and later receive the Holy Spirit. And I would say, no, 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 for multiple reasons. But one I want to point out to you is this. Think about this just for a moment. When it came to you hearing about Christ, did you first hear that Jesus was going to come? And then later find out that Jesus actually came, that he was actually crucified, buried, and raised again. Did you hear about the gospel that way? Anybody here? No. Everyone here, that when you heard the gospel, you heard the gospel about Jesus, that He had actually already come, that He had already been crucified, He had already been buried, He had already been raised, He had already ascended back to the Father, and He is now waiting to return. So these people are living in a different place and time than us, aren't they? They had been hearing that Jesus was going to come, and now later they're finding out that He actually did come. So their place in life and in history is completely different than ours. We hear the gospel, we repent of our sins and put our faith in Christ as we believe in Him and we are immediately receiving the Holy Spirit. But Paul's question does raise an important one that I want to kind of maybe ask just for a moment. And it's this. Um, well, Blake, if he asked the question, did you receive the Holy Spirit when you believed, how might I know if I've received the Holy Spirit? That, that's an important question. That's one that I want to finish with today. And it's a challenging one, okay? Again, this is, this is going to get messy. Um, so let's just do our best to walk through it, okay? So they hear, look, Paul says to them, Hey, listen, John's baptism is one of repentance, but it was about believing on the one that's to come after him. That is Jesus. It says, on hearing this, they hear the good news of Jesus. It says, they were baptized in the name of the Lord Jesus. And Paul lays his hands on them. And then, look at that, that's when the Holy Spirit comes. So they obviously haven't received the Spirit up until this point. That's when the Holy Spirit comes. And then we have this moment here. And they began speaking in tongues and prophesying. It says there were about 12 men in all. And that's hard. Why? Because many of us could say here today, well, Blake, I've never spoken a tongue or I've never prophesied. Right? Probably the vast majority of you are experiencing that today. And the question becomes, well, is speaking in tongues some ecstatic language? And there's disagreement over that. If you follow Paul, 1 Corinthians 12 through 14, but what we see in the book of Acts is, is when people speak in tongues, Acts chapter 2, especially on the day of Pentecost, the people aren't speaking a language that people don't understand, right? These people are gathered from all over the world. They've come back to Jerusalem for the Passover, for Pentecost, and they're saying, we hear these people speaking in our own what? Our own native tongues, our own languages. So there's a work of the Spirit. So you say, well, Blake, if I haven't spoken tongues or I haven't prophesied, does that mean that I've not truly received the Spirit? That's a major important question. So just for a moment with me, again, just for a moment with me, let's look just at a couple other examples in the New Testament of when we have similar terminology used of the Holy Spirit coming upon someone, the Holy Spirit's being received. Look up the wood first. Pentecost itself. At Pentecost, remember, they speak in tongues, they're speaking in other languages. Verse 4 of Acts 2. But also we have them 
praising God. So praising God is a sign of being filled with the Spirit. Verse 11. They have a power to witness. Verse 14. That's when Peter stands up and says, We're not drunk! It's early, y'all! He says, But this is the prophet of Joel, the promise of the prophet Joel, that God would pour out His Spirit in those days, in those last days. Samaria. We don't know exactly what happens there. We're not told in the text. But it's something so great that someone who's been a magician all their life, Simon the sorcerer, he says, I want to buy that. I want that power. So there's some indicated literal visual sign, manifestation of God's Spirit working in the people. In Caesarea Philippi, we have the people there speaking in tongues. Acts, or Acts 10, verse 46. Um, but also, not only that, they're praising God. So again, a sign of being filled with the Spirit. It's not only speaking in some other language you don't know, but praising God. Further with me, back in Ephesus, we have speaking in tongues and prophesying. You say, well, well Blake, I'm not sure that I could check more than just a few things off that list. But hopefully you're starting to see that God's at work. All right. So I don't want you to hear that today and think, well, if I haven't spoken in tongues, if I haven't prophesied exactly like they did here, then I must not be filled with the Spirit. Wow. I want to show just a few more things. Here's examples we also have of the Holy Spirit at work. Clearly, the text indicates the Spirit is doing something. Here's the transformation of the lives of the people. Specifically, we have the day of Pentecost in Acts chapter 2, right? That they're receiving the Holy Spirit comes upon them. And then we have this in verse 41. It says they were devoted to the apostles' teaching. They're committed to the Word of God. Are you? It's a sign of being filled with the Spirit. There's a devotion, a commitment to the Word of God. There's fellowship with other Christians. Are you fellowshipping with other Christians? And that's not, listen, that's more than just showing up on a Sunday morning at 10 o'clock and leaving out. It's hard to fellowship much. You need to get connected, a small group. You need to go deeper, find a Sunday school class, get connected. The breaking of prayer, sharing in the Lord's Supper, the Lord's table. Prayer is an indication of the people being filled. That's what they're devoted to. Do you see your life? Just God growing you in prayer. Do you see that? Furthermore, in Acts chapter 4, the church prays and the building shakes and it says they're all filled with the Holy Spirit. And they have boldness to share the Word of God. If you begin to see that, that the Spirit of God's at work in you, that you're starting to see a boldness. Acts 4 and 32, the church is unified. Are you a unifier in the church? Guess what? That's the Spirit of God at work in you to be a unifier. They have great power. They're giving testimony. It says in verse 33 of Acts 4 that great grace was upon them. Do you see that? That God's grace is upon your life. Love and kindness. That when you hurt someone, you, you want to go and say, I'm sorry, would you forgive me? Do you see that? When someone hurts you, 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 you're willing to say, instead of holding a grudge or developing a root of bitterness, that the Spirit of God is such at work in you to say, Blake, Colossians 3 and 13, forgive as I have forgiven you. How did I forgive you, Blake? Totally and completely. Great, Blake, go and do likewise. Do you, do you see that? There's a work of the Spirit in that. Acts 5 and 32, the, the apostles are there, and they're giving eyewitness testimony to what's happening and they say, listen, the Holy Spirit, God has given to those who obey Him. So guess what? Have you seen a, a desire to obey God and His Word? That's a work of the Spirit. Right? I mean, oftentimes I'm sharing the gospel with people and they say, Blake, I, I love Jesus. I'm all good with Him. And, and I ask the question often. John 14, 15. Jesus said, if you love me, you will obey what? My commands. And so I say, I hear you saying you love Jesus, but you're telling me your life is contradictory to this Word. So I want to ask, would Jesus say that you love Him? By the way you live? That's what Jesus says. So it says, listen, obedience is aside further. There's a finish right here. There's a good reputation with others. There's a, there's a transformation of their life that you're no longer who you used to be. Again, there's that boldness and empowerment to witness. Barnabas, who's a man, says he's full of the Holy Spirit. He's out encouraging people. That's a spiritual gift. It's the Spirit of God at work. 
And then finally, we have two different examples of people who are baptized, who are filled, it says, with joy and the Holy Spirit. They're in Acts 13, and then also the Philippian jailer and his family. They says they were just overwhelmed with joy. Do you, are you, listen, are you, are you seeing some of this? Are you seeing, uh, again, we've we walked through many texts before, so I don't have time to walk back through it all. Um, I hope and pray that you will. If you're interested more in the second baptism, or is there more on the baptism of the Holy Spirit, we walked through that, Acts chapter 11, last September. You can go back and listen and watch that if you're interested or talk. But I want you to see, guys, I want you to be able to answer that question. Did you receive the Holy Spirit when you believe? And I want you to know the good news today. The Holy Spirit of God is available. If you're willing to repent, that's saying that your way of life is wrong and God's way is right. And you're saying, God, I don't have the power to change me, but God, I know that you're a good, good father. And I'm asking today that you would forgive me and that you would change me. I confess that Jesus Christ is my Lord and Savior. There's nothing else that can make me good before you. I'm trusting not in any good works and coming to church and giving money and going to even tell people about Jesus. Those things are great, but they won't save me. God, there's one thing that you will accept, and it's the blood of your Son. And I'm confessing Him today as my only Lord and Savior. God promises in Galatians 3, verse 5, that those who believe, He says, He gives the Spirit. Today. Are you willing to repent and put your faith and trust in Him that you might receive the Holy Spirit of God? Who do you know today that needs the Spirit of God? Continually, we're hearing the truth. For people to receive the Spirit, they must hear the Gospel and believe. And God wants to use you just like J.B., John the Baptist, to go and tell that good news. Let's go. Finally, I want to close by just telling you and reminding you, reach out to people that may not have water. There may be a Facebook friend. There may be, I don't know who they are. Reach out to them. Ask them, hey, how can we love you, right? Aaron, we, we touch base. How can we help fire and rescue, right? If we can help, let us know. This church may be opened up this afternoon. Maybe you can come by and serve and just say, hey, I love you. We're glad that you're here. I don't know what's going to happen. We'll let you know if that does by one call, but we're glad that you're here today. And we're glad that Jesus Christ is alive, amen? That we can receive His Spirit and be changed and transformed. I hope and pray you know it. Would you pray with me? Father, in the strong name of Jesus, I thank You for Your Word. Father, I know today was a challenging text. Lord, if I've said anything that's been contradictory to Your Word, I pray that Your people are just like the Bereans here today. They're searching the Scriptures and they're going to say, Blake, I'm not sure that was right. Father, help me, God. Help me teach what is right and true. Help our people teach what is right and true. Father, praise Your name today that we can receive Your Holy Spirit who is the deposit guaranteeing our salvation is real and true. Father, I pray today as Your people are here, Father, I pray that they are aware. They're saying, listen, I... Blake, I'm unworthy, but man, the Spirit of God's at work in my life. I never would have believed it, but God's just changing me. Some of those things there, again, maybe it's not as much as I want. I wish it was more, but man, God's Spirit's at work. Father, I just want to praise You for that. God, I want to thank You for Your patience with us. I pray for any of those here today who are discouraged, or maybe they're wondering, doubting. Lord, You said Your Spirit comes and leaves no room for doubt. So Lord, I pray right now that they would begin to seek You. You said that you will seek You and find You when we seek You with all of our hearts. So Father, I pray they would begin to knock and the door would be open. I pray they would ask and they would receive. God, I just pray that You would do a mighty work through the power of Your Spirit and the truth of Your Word and the body of Christ ministering. Father, we love You and we give You all praise and all glory and ask this in Jesus' name. Amen.